Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. Last week, we talked about empathy and compassion and the difference between the two and how a lot of people mistake empathy for compassion. So there is a inability that we have as human beings to be empathetic, to read other people, understand their emotional states, and in a sense, that's table stakes. So just because we feel someone else's pain doesn't make us heroic. What actually matters is the action that we take as a result. And that's where compassion comes in. So empathy is the awareness. Compassion is the passion that inspires action, inspires us to do something about the situations that we find ourselves in. And Z, as you mentioned last time, compassion has a lot to do with duty. So if we feel inspired, if we take that action, that becomes part of our duty to ourselves, to take care of ourselves, our duty to others, our families, our friends, our societies, even things that we don't like to do. And we all get up in the morning, we go to work, even if we don't feel like it, because that's part of our duty. But we're in a situation, or I should say a culture, where there's an aversion to this idea of duty. And there's a sense of shirking from duty or wanting to lead an easy and a comfortable life. And I think the way you put it is very interesting, that people look at life as a zero-sum game. So we're constantly thinking, what can I get out of this situation without putting anything back into it? What can I extract from my environment, from the people around me, to make my life easier and not put myself out there or inconvenience myself at all? And this brings us to today's topic, which is sacrifice, the notion of sacrifice. Really, we've been conditioned to avoid sacrifice, to avoid hardship, and we think in those terms because we view life as a zero-sum game. So the more that I give, uh, that's a net debit against my energy and my reserves. And why not instead limit my energy and take as much as I can? But the problem with doing that is when we lose the ability to sacrifice, a couple of things happen. Number one, we begin to stagnate. So we do not move as freely as we should. We're not as open-hearted as we could be. And a lot of life is this continuous movement, this continuous evolution of our spirit, an expression of who we are, a response to situations where we see people in need or we see injustice. And if we're always damning that and holding that back, that can lead to health problems. It can really take a toll on our psyche. If we're the type to always sit back and never act and never put ourselves out, what does that say about ourselves? How can we live with ourselves being a person who doesn't stand for anything? So that's part of the issue with not sacrificing. And another issue, which I thought was a very interesting point that you brought up, is when we do sacrifice, we end up getting a lot back in exchange. So if we can sacrifice and ease the conditions of others, we get more out of those people. It changes the relationship that we have with those around us. It changes the dynamic, and it leads to benefits on both sides. So it's not really the zero-sum game that we make it out to be. So Z, maybe you can just run with this theme a little bit. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about the sacred fire that the word sacrifice emanates from. What do you really mean by that? And how should we think about this as we go about our day-to-day? 
Well, then, true sacrifice, as is said in the Veda, is the awareness that you're giving up something. The awareness that this is affecting you. The awareness that you are unburdening yourself uh, by letting go of something. Real sacrifice is that awareness of this is dear to me and I'm going to give it up. This is my time and I'm going to give it up. This is my money and I'm going to give it up. This is my sweat equity and my effort. I'm going to give it up. In exchange, I will be lighter. And in that lightness, I will be able to gain more, pick up more. I will be more knowledgeable. I will have nurtured a more uh, loving world that I live in. I would have elevated those who revere me, honor me, value me. I will pay back those that have stood by me. I will unburden myself of that debt to those who have been instrumental in complimenting my life. I can move freely without through life without the debt of thievery because I've always paid it forward or given back to that that has nurtured me. So that is sacrifice. Sacrifice is when you go through something and you know that, hey, this was challenging. And I faced a challenge, thus the sacred fire. You've gone through that forge that has brought you to a level of pressure and heat that when it is gone, you've been tempered. You're better. You're stronger. You're more resilient. Your character is rich. Uh, I think about people who study yoga. And there's a certain type of student who will go through, uh, be it yoga or martial arts, I should say, who was willing to suffer and sacrifice for their lesson. Those are always the people that excel in the discipline. I, I notice over the years, there's a certain kind of person who will come and as soon as they see that this is something value, they invest in it. Here's my money. Here's my check, my cash, my credit card. Can I pick up a broom, a paintbrush? This is really good for me. All those people not only excel in their practice, but their retention of the knowledge is greater. I was that type of student. I traveled thousands of miles to study with teachers. I would get jobs or find work in those areas so that I could support not only the lesson, but the institution where the lesson was came. And I advanced in my practice. On a personal level, you have people in your life who are willing to take on weight for you. Those are the people that through that sort of Shakti pot, that divine exchange they gain from their relationship rather quickly you may even notice it in work there are certain people certain types of careers where people truly truly revere and love what they do and beyond the daily money that they get from their efforts it is the human exchange that they benefit from but they are first willing to sacrifice themselves first and then they gain a certain level of reverence, a certain level of devotion. 
and a certain level of um, gratitude that elevates whatever they're doing to a higher level. We are averse to sacrifice because I think in the era that we live in, we live in a discount era. How much can I get for nothing? How little can I put in it to get everything out of it? Because there's that other type of person that wants to hire the guru to come to their house at a certain time to impart the lesson. They will never get the Shaktipat, the lesson of direct transmission. Because the guru, the guy, the master, didn't get it that way. They sacrificed for it. They suffered. So there's things that temper the lesson, that temper the knowledge, that makes it actionable, realistic, that comes only through sacrifice. The children may tell you, Dad, you don't spend enough time with me because you're at work so much. Well, I am sacrificing the pleasure of your company for you to have a less difficult life. So the father or the mother sacrifices quietly so that things beyond them are better, that the days that they will never experience you are better days, the sacrifice, the sacred fire. The husband and the wife sacrifice the ego to suppress petty disagreements that distance them from intimacy and closeness. And they feel the sacrifice while I gave up watching the ball game or I gave up my soap opera. I gave up my comfort so that I could comfort him or her. And in exchange for that, there was a sort of a reverence that grew that allowed that couple to be better. And they were aware of the sacrifice. You know, I... I I gave up time with my buddies to be with you. And you gave up time with your soap opera to be with me. And that's a great sacrifice, the awareness that you gave that up for something better. You threw that in the fire. You threw that in the forge. You threw it in that kennel to braise the vase of closeness. I make it a point to take time out, sacrifice my time for friends in need. And in return, I have very deep friendships, very deep friendships that few people have. And they too have done the same for me. And I then carry with that a chit or ticket of gratitude for them that elevates my life. Sacrifice is definitely a lost art. It is a lost treasure that when we can reclaim that, it definitely improves the quality of our life. You follow me, Ben? What's interesting is I'm listening to you is we're talking about sacrifice, but in a sense, what we're talking about is extremely self-interested. So there's a strong self-motivation behind everything you're describing. If you're talking about relationships, yes, we sacrifice our time, but we do that for harmony, we do it for intimacy. There's a benefit that we internalize. If you talk about the lessons that you got from great masters around the world, you were willing to travel to them, to spend your time, your energy, your attention, 
And as a result, they responded to you in a different way than they would the student who says, let's set up a Zoom call and check in 15 minutes a week. And because you approached them with that mindset, they saw something in you and you got a lot in exchange. You got a certain skill set. You were able to develop your character, your will, your resolve. There were a lot of benefits that you accrued from that sacrifice. Well, you're talking about sacrifice having a, an element of self-interest, and of course it does, because all human relationships are based on mutual benefit. Even on an, an existential level, when a, 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 a great leader, be it a good leader, an evil leader, an evil, an evil leader or a kind leader, inspires people to sacrifice their life to preserve their country right? That person who is going to sacrifice their life imagines themselves like a mother or father going off to work, missing wonderful, precious time with their child so that that child's life will be better. And then that child's life being better, that parent is able to say, ha, look what I did. I gave up so much so that my kids could be better. The kid may acknowledge it or not acknowledge it. It may say, yeah, my parents made it easier for me, but I don't know them. They made it easier for me, but I would have had I would have liked my life to be a little more difficult just to know the love of that parent. So sacrifice does have a selfish aspect to it. You have to physically jump in the fire. You have to emotionally, spiritually commit yourself to dissolving yourself in a relationship. Uh, in, with intimacy, you have to willingly and faithfully, with your eyes wide open, know that I'm going to do this because it will make my living situation, my partner, more harmonious. I may enjoy it a lot. I may enjoy it a little. I may be indifferent. But I will get something beneficial out of it which is our harmonious relationship. The same way the parent goes to work. You don't know if your kids are going to love you for it or not. You do that for yourself. You do it because you believe it to be the right thing to do. And in that belief that it is the right thing to do, it comforts your heart. And the comfort of the heart allows your body to function in a way that promotes a higher life frequency. So yes, there is an element of selfishness to sacrifice. There is an element of nobility. There is an element of phileo piety. There is an element of compassion. There, All those things are in sacrifice. Well, what I'm getting at, Z, is the following. That ultimately... Any sacrifice that we make, we do it because it's got some benefit to us. There's some exchange. We're not just killing ourselves for no reason. We're killing ourselves and putting us, a soldier will put themselves at risk because they imagine there's going to be some impact of that. Either they can't live with themselves if they just stand by and do nothing. Or, as you put it, they imagine a better future for their children. So they're willing to make an ultimate sacrifice, even sacrifice their life, if it furthers their own end. What confuses me a little bit is that 
in that sense, I mean, if we take that perspective that, yes, we are giving of ourselves, but we're also receiving something in exchange, it seems like sacrifice would be something that we would naturally do. So maybe it feels hard. Maybe it requires us to get off the couch and stop watching Netflix for a little bit and put away the cell phone. Uh, but that's fine because we know that we're getting something better in exchange. We're creating more harmony around us, whatever the case may be. So then if we say, why do people not realize that? If that's so basic, I give something, the more I give, the more I get. It's an exchange of energy. Why are we missing that relationship? It seems that either we're just blind to basic cause and effect, so we don't realize that the things that we want require sacrifice. We've got some false narrative or some false idea that things will just come to us without any effort on our part, or we can somehow game the system. That's one explanation. Another is perhaps we don't actually know what we need, so we undervalue things like character, like being open-hearted. And this gets back to the conversation last week where you talked about how a lot of these benefits are not of the material realm. So it's not necessarily going to give us more money or a bigger house or a faster car, but it will add to our spirit. It will enhance the quality of our existence. And those are things that aren't as tangible. So maybe we don't realize the benefits that we're missing out on because we've just been so conditioned for material rewards. As you think about it, what is the big block? I mean, why is it so hard for us to understand this notion of sacrifice, which at some level seems very basic? To answer that, uh, or, to, or to offer my insight into it, my take on it, is we live in the time of a very, I would say, logistic time um, where there's a very low level of faith. People are often hopeless. And so the only thing that we tether ourselves to is really volatile materialism. Um, we've reduced our lives to what things cost. There is a truly a void of a visceral integrity. What I mean by that is the things that got us here as a species, we don't value. Loving relationships, true friendships, uh, understanding the relationship of energy in the quantum realm, the continuum of life. So we've reduced it to this idea of material possession. So as you notice that though people spout religion, very few people act in a way of being part of a quantum continuum. People are cruel, unkind. Not all, but in general. We see this, as you were talking about, the, the, the situation of the day, the, 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 the expressions of, of, of material gain and loss. So when you talk to people about the benefit of sacrifice, it, it, is a, it is an antiquated conversation right now to people. It doesn't make sense to them. Because we do think of the zero-sum game. What is in it for me? What's in it for me, not long-term even, but what's in it for me right now? 
What can I get out of it right now? With no connection to the consequence of that or the sustainability of that. I was listening today as I was coming in and they were saying, well, the stock market looks up since the president threatened to bring in troops. So somebody said that, that was really good for the stock market. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this thinking. I'm saying, okay, so the president has threatened to send in thousands of troops to shoot and kill American citizens for protesting and the reaction to acts of brutality by authority. So he's going to bring in more troops to kill more people. And that brought confidence to the stock market. So short term, I get it. Well, now that we have fewer and fewer places burning and businesses being looted and corporations not making money, they'll feel safe for a few days. People will feel safe to go out and buy. That's definitely one way of thinking. But who will buy? Who's going to be doing all this shopping while there is a military presence in the streets? So in the short-sighted, they say, yeah, that's a good idea. Kill everybody. Stop this um, disruption of commerce and commerce will be better. We live in strange times, strange thinking. But for a moment, it almost makes sense. If you don't have a quantum view of life. So right now, why is it so hard for people to sacrifice? Because we really are into a zero-sum game and we see no connection to others. But for those of us who feel connected to others and we feel part of a quantum continuum, then I value sacrifice. I'm going to go through something for my kids. I'm going to extend myself to my friends. I'm going to support my mentors and teachers and those who have imparted their wisdom into me. I'm going to nurture my garden. I'm going to go and water the grass. I'm going to turn the soil. I'm going to check the roots. I'm going to water the garden. Because in summertime, the fruits of my labor, the tempering of my sacrifice, the sitting with the moment will benefit life, what I call life. But it is not a common way of thinking nowadays. The common way of thinking is send in the troops, kill everybody, and that's going to be good for the economy. Hmm. Interesting times. What are your thoughts, Ben? Well, I'm listening to you, and I'm I'm actually really getting worked up because this is touching on so many themes that we've highlighted in the past. And maybe it's not even so many themes. Maybe the central theme is materialism. And it's just this false view that we have that all of life can be reduced to material gain. And that's why we're here, to produce more to make more money, more profit, buy more stuff. We're not even aware of what we're producing, what we're consuming, 
we're not aware of the cost of that to our health, to our peace of mind, to our communities, to our environments. It's just this mantra. I mean, it's like a disease or a virus. Maybe a virus is the right analogy, like a computer virus, which has altered our programming and turned us into these one-dimensional beings where all we care about is material gain. And the irony is that that program makes us so much worse off because, as we've talked about, it burdens us. It creates anxiety. It tethers us to this material world, which is constantly changing. And we hope to preserve the world in a certain fashion and hold on to things which we simply cannot do. It's against the nature of life. There's always an ebb and a flow to life, and we try and overcome that. So that leads to anxiety. That leads to disease. We spend more energy than we need to chasing material things. We shirk duty. We shirk sacrifice because we don't see that immediate benefit. And we make ourselves sick in the process. So maybe the lesson of this is a first step. If we want to break free of this aversion to sacrifice and get to a point where we are willing to invest of ourselves to promote the quality of our spirit, to create sustainability, ensure longer-term viability, we need to examine our priorities and step back and say, how much do we really need? What is this doing for us? I think back to our conversations, and I remember this must have been a few years ago. You brought up the point, what do we really need in this life? And you can measure it in terms of units of energy. How much heat do we need in the winter? How much of an ability to cool ourselves do we need in the summer? How much food do we need? How much shelter do we need? That's basically it. And beyond a certain threshold, the rest of life has nothing to do with material gain. And there's study after study which supports this. So if you look at studies on happiness, they all conclude that, yes, you need a certain level of safety and prosperity. If you're worried about where you're getting your next meal from, if you're afraid that you're going to step outside and step on a landmine or someone's going to shoot you, yeah, you're probably not going to be happy. You're in survival mode. But if you can get beyond that survival mode, and I think the dollar figure that they put it at is right around the median income in the U.S. It's around $50,000. So if you make more than $50,000, it doesn't matter how much you make. There's no correlation between happiness and material gain. And you could argue that the pursuit of material gain takes us in the opposite direction because it creates a zero-sum game mentality that we've been talking about where you're constantly trying to extract, you're destroying relationships around you, you're leaving yourself and maybe others with a bad taste in your mouth and their mouths, you're doing things that you're not proud of, you're avoiding relationships which really give us energy and sustain us. I think one of the great benefits of this period is spending time with family and kids. And you see how restorative that is, to your point about relationships. That is something that is a net benefit in terms of energy. Even though my kids are a pain in the ass and they're screaming all the time and they're little dictators, and my two-year-old is throwing food in my face and ordering me around, if I step back from that day-to-day, there is tremendous value I get out of investing my time trying to teach them, trying to practice patience on my end, and all of the frustrations and the irritations and the anger on both sides, 
it's very superficial. It has nothing to do with the deeper exchange that goes on below the surface. And maybe that's something that we just need to reflect on. And perhaps this time is a period, both because of the coronavirus and because of all the, the chaos that we're seeing in society, where we examine our priorities. We examine what it means to be human, what it means to live, and we come up with different answers. And if we can start to dismantle that mantra of materialism and think about more harmony, more sustainability, I think the whole notion of sacrifice becomes a lot easier. You're absolutely right, um, Vin, and I was thinking about as you were talking, let's frame it in a way, because everything we do with the dispassionate observer Dharma media is inevitably to mitigate human suffering. How does sacrifice mitigate your suffering? Think of sacrifice as the sacred fire. You build a pit of fire and you have X amount of wood you need in there to create the energy of the flame that offers that kindling or that forge that you are building. And it helps shape you and mold you. But you also know that you have a certain amount that you can sacrifice or you need to sacrifice. And anything over that, you should disperse into your environment so that that next person next to you also can benefit. It is not unlike the term, may your cup runneth over. So when you realize and have clarity on what you need in life to be content from day to day, from week to week to month to month, then it's all about maintenance of that and anything above and beyond that you can offer away, you can give away, you can sacrifice, you can give as offering. What does that mean? Your time. Let's say you manage your time in such a way and you go back to your yantra, your kela yantra, your time management mantra. And you say, I need eight hours of sleep and I'm going to work backwards from that and look at my day. I end my day at 10 o'clock at night. And so right from 9 to 10, or 8 to 10, what did I do? I spent time with uh, my beloved. Then you go a few hours back from that. From let's say you got home from work and you spent some time with your children. And you did a good day's work. And right before you went to work, you got a workout in. So after you rose in the morning, you got up in the morning at 7, whatever in the morning, 6, 7 in the morning, you got in an hour workout. You went to work. And let's say on the days you don't work, you did some things, or during the day, during your break, you did some things to enhance your intellect. And then you realize that you had time. You had time. You had time for yourself. And that's the time that you could use in service of any kind, which you did service. You serviced your children. You did the service with your partner. You did service at work. So your whole day, you have these moments of service. What is service? Another form of sacrifice. You spoke to a co-worker in a kind way. During the course of your day, you listened to their concerns and maybe you offered them some solace or comfort. So there, you, 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 you sacrificed and you did your karma. 
You did your karma yoga, laws of consequence and action. You did right by others, and whether they benefited from that or not, or whether they acknowledged it or not, you acknowledged it. So, you know, your life is very fulfilling. But it required the sacrifice of the yantra to look at your day, to disassemble the time, and say, did I get it all done? When it comes to abundance, you look at yourself and what, how much do you need? What is it that you need to be comfortable? So you know, there, let your cup, run, your cup runneth over. So your cup is full. You can help out a friend. You could offer them a meal and share break bread with them. You could, uh, again, invest in things that you value. Your temple, your education center, whatever. And support it so that you can nurture your community. You do that anyway. Many people do that. So sacrifice, in the most selfish way, is something that makes you better. People who don't sacrifice lack character. They're not interesting people. They're not people that you would want to really spend time with because they have no depth of character or soul. Those who sacrifice are people that are notable and worthy of story that you share. They've put themselves out there for others, for the betterment of the community or humanity in itself. There are things you can learn from those who have sacrificed. There are things that you gain from their sacrifice. There is so much that you can garner from them. Those who have not sacrificed, they are like a dog chasing their tail. They're in the endless, as we say, in the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit not people of note nor interest who dissolve away like, as you say, sand in the wind. People of no interest. Talk to people who have put themselves on the line, who have sacrificed, who have knowingly given up things that were precious to them, valuable, in order to receive the breath of the divine. There are people you can learn from who will elevate your life condition, who can teach you things, who can reveal to you parts of yourself you never knew you had. So sacrifice, being in that sacred fire, prepares you to be that durable blade that you move through life. You become that sword. You become that hammer. You become that vase that can embrace life to its fullest. So then when your cup is solid and you have a clear foundation on its volume, its girth, and when your cup runneth over, you nurture everything around you. That is the benefit of sacrifice. That analogy about the cup running over I really like that. That resonates with me, and I think about my own life. It's a very practical way to approach your day, and I think it requires an awareness of your basic needs. So if you don't have that and you're in this materialistic narrative that we've been talking about, the cup will never run over because the cup is infinite in size. So first thing to do is to take a realistic assessment of what you need 
in terms of time, in terms of commitment to your job, commitment uh, to wherever else. And whatever you have left over, you can give. And you can either give that to help other people, or maybe you decide to invest in yourself. I think that's also a form of sacrifice that we've talked about. But you're investing your time, you're investing your energy to better yourself and better those around you. So that's something that's very practical. I think it's also extremely personal because each person's cup is going to look different. And I think about myself, I compare myself to maybe some other members in my family. I tend to work out more than they do. And why is that? I was thinking about this as you were talking because I've got a certain amount of energy that I just need to work off. Uh, so I can devote it in that direction. Or I've got to deploy that energy in certain ways. And maybe I do that through writing. I do it through the spoken word. Maybe other people don't have the same luxury. Uh, maybe the demands of their families, their careers are more. So they can't give as much in terms of time or energy. And that's fine. But it becomes a very personal assessment. It's not a game of competition, of looking at what other people are doing. It's really evaluating yourself and honestly appraising how much you need versus how much you can give. So that analogy I would encourage everyone to keep in mind because I think we can get a lot of mileage out of that in our day-to-day. Z, if we abstract away from that and talk about some of these other topics of the day. So right now, we're seeing chaos in society. We're seeing a release of pent-up rage and frustration in a lot of parts of our communities because of the death of George Floyd, because of some of the other recent uh, deaths of black people, uh, either uh, from the police or from white supremacists. And this is something that's simmering under the surface. So when we were talking about this earlier, you asked the question, why did no one step in and help George? There was a crowd, there was a large number of people, why weren't people willing to go in there and overwhelm the police just based on sheer number and do that and maybe risk their life and maybe they would die? But in exchange for that, they stand for something. They help save the life of another human. They dignify themselves. And maybe it's as basic as you can live with yourself. And how can you live with yourself if you're not standing up to oppression when you see it staring you in the face? How do you think about that situation? Because the counter to that is, sure, we can talk about being noble and making huge sacrifices and risking our lives, risking our finances, continually serving others, whatever it is. There's an extreme amount of sacrifice that we're capable of, but where do we draw the line? And what should we be willing to sacrifice in what circumstance? Well, for each, like you said earlier, Ben, for each person, the cup is different. When the um, the twin towers were blown up, demolished, or whatever, people considered that a noble sacrifices for young people to join the military and attack other people in another part of the world that had nothing to do with what happened. Those people went and simply went wilding, rioting, looting of the foreign people whom had nothing to do with the incident of the Twin Towers of 
absolutely nothing to do. People yelled and screamed in a riotous way to blow up, burn up, and wipe out people, civilian, women, children, babies, elderly, property, artifacts um, from biblical times were pillaged, looted, destroyed in order to vent the rage of the leaders of the moment who, who, who knows had a vested interest in attacking certain people and not others. We thought that was a reasonable and noble sacrifice. And people felt good hearing the stories of the wiping outs of people, the, the burning on their way to Baghdad or whatever it was called. They showed pictures of carnage and we cheered. Then they showed people the other night running in and out of Neiman Marcus and Macy's and we booed. The cup is different. There's no real logic to it. You have to ask yourself, do you feel good about it or do you feel bad about it? When you answer that question, then go and explore your own thinking. All material things can be replaced. But the human relationships or the death of a human being, well, you can't replace that. You can replace windows and shoes, but you can't replace a life. So each of us will try to justify and compartmentalize whatever we witness based on our underlying values. There are times to fight and there's a time to be still. Do you choose it on your own or do you, is it chosen by the consciousness of the group you affiliate with? As I said before, we're in the midst of many things, the pandemic, the, the um, unrest, the uprisings of all kind. Has it happened before? Yes. You know, 50 years after the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War papers came out and said the Gulf of Tonkin event that started the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, it never happened. 50,000 people U.S. troops and millions of Vietnamese people died in a war that was built on a lie that now all participants have admitted that they were aware of it, knew about it, and thought it was a good idea to create this drama that cost the lives of people who were willing to sacrifice based on the narrative that they had heard. Every time the U.S., discusses North Korea, it's a pain in its side because it meant that they didn't win the war in Korea. So symbolically, it is a thorn in their side based on the myth of U.S. dominance. Cuba sits off the coast of Florida is a constant wart, an open cyst for the ideologues of U.S. dominance. Right there, they didn't beat them. It didn't crush them. So as we look at events of the day, they are an inevitable 
part of the pathology of misguided mal-narratives. There are things going on that we choose not to look at or turn away from. And when those things show up, it is like you're uncovering dog poo in your living room that you didn't want to clean up and you threw a carpet over. It festers, it rots, it mildews, it molds, it grows and grows, and you can't fabrize it away anymore. And then it shows up and you go, oh my God, what is this? It's been with you so long, you don't even remember when you picked it up. You don't, you don't even have the dog anymore. But it comes back every so often. In my lifetime, it's been more times than I can remember. People are so surprised, they're so shocked. No. Take your empathy. Tap into your empathy and say, raise your hand if you want to be a black person in the United States. No one will raise their hand. We love hip-hop. We like the comical doctor with some sort of Tourette syndrome that's a great brain surgeon. We love the endurance, the strength, the ability to persevere. But nobody would want to trade places. So right now, the people that this country was built on, they're suffering. Not because they were stupid or ignorant or subhuman, but because their culture, their original culture, was open and inviting. You know that many African languages don't have a word that means stranger? That everybody is some kind of distant relative? So if you come in to steal from these people, it's probably pretty easy to steal from them or do that because they don't have that in their heart. So for the person that steals and pillages, they come back home a hero. That's cool. Better them than me. Then for every immigrant, every single immigrant that is not of European descent is here on the shoulders and the backs of those people who were willing to endure a Herculean level of suffering. And as soon as you get your foot on soil, you spit in their face, just like in the book, that story, The Life of Pi. As soon as the lion got on land, he jumped that guy. So the same way that happens. So then you see the fire coming. You see the upheaval, the stink of that reveals itself. And we go, oh, there's terrible people, terrible people. Why didn't they just do what the Asian Chinese students do? Why didn't you just hold your head down like the Indians, the South Asians? Why don't you just bend over and hide like the Japanese do? Why didn't you just get on board the good ship lollipop and not say anything. Well, they did. They've done it better than anyone. Nobody wants to trade places with them. But everybody wants to complain and tell them what to do. Nobody wants to sacrifice, but everyone wants to benefit from the sacrifice. Nobody will turn in their benefit. 
but they will critique their benefactor harshly. Nobody dreams of marrying them, but everybody has nightmares of being married to them because it allows us to see ourselves. So here we are again during the pandemic that 13% of the population dies 40% of the time because of their poor health, because of the effects of the stress of being here in the only place they know. They carry the names of the people that raped their grandfathers and grandmothers. They carry the flag higher than the people that call themselves patriots. They die in every war. They drink polluted water that no one else in the civilized world has to drink. And they still win every Olympic medal, every ball game, every scholarly claim, but you still wouldn't want to be them because every minute of every day, they are despised. You're not going to go in the store and buy skin darkening cream. You won't find unfairness cream anywhere. But you will say, you know what they should do? But you haven't had that boot on your back or that neck and then show up anyway. Get up anyway and perform, smile, fight better than anyone on earth with the weight of the world on the head of your children. And you figure out a way to do it anyway. And you quench your thirst with poison laden water pumped in by the wickedest and evilest of people decide to pump poison water into your neighborhood. That you don't even own that neighborhood for you have been tracked, denied loans, denied medical care and treatment in emergency situations. And you wave the flag and carry their Jesus better than anyone. They uphold the ideas and tenets of the white Jesus more than any white person. But you don't want to be them. Nobody will step up and say, you know what, thank you, my ancestor, for making a way for my life to be easier. Not only when I stay, I stand up and speak for them, when they fight back, as you would fight back, they are despised more than anyone on earth the ancestors of humanity, the grandfathers and grandmothers of every human being on earth are spit upon. And just the act of them wiping the spit away is considered defiance. Every car company owes it to the Patterson Car Company for their ability to run a similar. We don't even know who the Patterson Car Company is. Yeah, slaves built the nicest car in America. Slaves who had been beat, raped, 
twisted, stockholmed out of existence. They will always parade the slave overseer, an ancestor who has no mind anymore, who hates what they see in the mirror, hates themselves. And they'll say, look, he managed, he's successful. No, all of us are successful. If you lived in, if you live past 25 in America, you're a success in terms of living. You can be hunted, killed with impunity in this country. They say, well, the statistics look good. Why? They don't keep statistics. Well, if you weren't a criminal, you wouldn't be treated that way by the police. No, you're criminalized by the police. I was with a white person one day who had a car with no registration and they're driving with an expired license plate and the cop stopped him and said, hey, get that taken care of. A day later, a black man whose light flickered in the taillight was pulled out of the car, held on the concrete, given citations, tickets, changed his whole life, lost his job because he was arrested. But now he gets up the next day, he's got to figure out how to make a way, so he's going to hustle, he's going to figure it out, he's going to figure out how to put food on the table, take care of his child. But now he's the criminal. He's the evil one. And we accept that. And all of us get it. All the other black folks and non-white people, they look the other way and say, well, if you just keep your head down, well, I can't keep my head down. I'm too black, too strong, too this, too that. I'm just me. I'm just living under the sun. Yeah, so that's what's going on, man. That's what's going on. So I can't feel anything for this country burning. I can't. I'm too busy just trying to feel my way through this life and hope that my little boys outlive me and that my oldest son, who is far from home, I wonder every night my stomach gurgles and my blood pressure ticks up because I'm wondering if I'll get that call. Because he's educated, he's witty, he's smart. And he never had to go through what I went through. And maybe he will simply ask the question, why am I being stopped? And they pull a bullet in the back of his head. And I love him like you love your daughters. I love him like your mom and dad love you. But he's African, he's black, and he's strong, and he's sweet, and he's nice. But in their eyes, he is not even a human being. He garners from them the consciousness and the efforts of consciousness that you would for a fly. And they enjoy killing him. They enjoy our suffering. It's not anecdote, I know it. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I haven't been broken. I'm still here. There are many people that it happens so much they don't even notice it happening. They're like fish in water that don't know they're in the sea. Bird in the sky doesn't know it's flying. It's just getting around. So many of these people 
um, have been so beat up and broken and Stockholm that their suffering is a normal part of the equation and you see it in the hospitals. The most unhealthy people. Being an ancestor is a pre-existing health condition that will shorten your life. But through whatever cosmic divine flow, we've endured it here and abroad in ways that no other group of people could have done it. Right now, the former slaves in America are in an extinction phase. An extinction phase because they lack the knowledge of self. They are surviving on the levels of feral animals and they want to be loved by the people that hate them. So those critical errors in philosophy is causing a progressive death of those descendants. And like the looting and the burning, we're just watching, being entertained. But those who benefited from their suffering and their sacrifices, I would say to them, if you follow the math, when the wall of the ancestors is breached and they're no longer here to buffer the blows, you're next. If you support that that killed them, it will kill you. It will kill your children. It will kill your grandchildren. For when they're gone, they are the bulletproof vest that you are wearing. When that vest is breached, you will take the full force of that bullet. Because if the metric of life valued is white supremacy, you are not white. You can talk like it. You can marry like it. You can act like it. You can nurture it. You can buy into it. You can clown it, you can coon it, but you're not it. And that thing was set up, that concept was set up for consumerism, to keep the low-life workers from rebelling and trying to improve their condition over the oligarchs and the monopolists. So everybody that bought into it, because again, you can make money. You can be rich. Not only can your cup runneth over, but you can get a cup, you can get a bucket, you can get a barrel, you can get a drum, you can get a tank and keep filling it up as long as you abide, abide by this idea that the metric of good and bad is black and white. Just some thoughts. I don't own the truth. I'm just sharing with you my view. You got me, Vin? The picture you paint is incredibly interesting. It takes so much of what we've been talking about, the individual concept of sacrifice, and you're showing in your words how that same concept applies at a social level. So we've got a situation where you have black people in this country, descendants of slaves, who do nothing but sacrifice. They take injustice. 
They take demeaning treatment. They play the game. They smile on cue. And they sacrifice endlessly for validation so that they'll be liked. And then the flip side of that is a group of people who make no sacrifice but simply take. And that's the zero-sum game we were talking about. The other group of people are benefiting from the condition of the first group. They're taking their resources, they're taking their productive energy, they're using them in some cases for sport, they're using them to feel better about themselves by pushing other people down. So you've got this mirror image where you've got a group of people who are sacrificing indefinitely without seeming limit and another group who are taking without limit. And what I think is fascinating, this goes back to the normalization of dysfunction that we've talked so much about. I love the analogy you have of sitting in a living room and not even noticing that there's a pile of shit in the living room from the cat because it's been there so long that you don't even notice the smell. That's just how home smells for you. That stench is something that you're so familiar with that it's become normal. And I used to play with a kid who had a house like that. There was one of my best friends in my neighborhood. His house was disgusting. It was cats all over the place. They didn't have litter boxes, or maybe they didn't empty the litter boxes. It smelled terrible. It was messy. But for people who lived in that house, that was normal. They got used to the smell. They wouldn't even recognize something different, or if they smelled something different, it would smell unfamiliar. So I think a lot of what you're describing, Z, goes back to the dispassionate observer philosophy that we talk so much about. In order to understand a reasonable level of exchange, to understand the dysfunction that you're creating individually by not giving up yourself, by not investing in the non-material world, in not building character, or to have that awareness at a societal level where you can see the system that has been created over hundreds of years, how it advantages one group to the detriment of another, and how that's totally unsustainable, you have to be able to step away and look at things objectively. And if you don't, that stench gets worse and worse and worse. In a sense, that's what we're seeing right now. The frustration, the chaos, the looting, some violence, then the counter-reaction, the president who's coming out and saying, we're not going to tolerate this, there's going to be a military response, there's escalation. This is the result of an imbalance of one side which sacrifices too much, another side which sacrifices nothing, and both have just gotten used to that system until it reaches a breaking point. Now, there are certain things that we can do. I think we can conduct ourselves in a certain way. Maybe if we understand these dynamics, we make different choices. But the reality is that we're here to talk about the individual. I don't think we're going to be able to catalyze widespread societal change. Uh, a lot of us aren't, frankly, interested in doing so. We're more concerned about living well. But the same lesson applies, that we have to be able to step back to recognize our own stench, to understand when we've got a short-term mindset, to understand when we've bought into consumerism, 
when we're so used to hiding from the bitters or the pain that we never invest anything that's meaningful. And I think a personal barometer becomes useful. So if you're able to practice that DPO philosophy and step back, you can assess the quality of your life. What are the quality of your relationships? How do you feel getting out of bed in the morning? How do you approach your day? How do you feel at the end of the day when you go to sleep at night? Do you like yourself? Are you healthy? Are you living in a way that's sustainable? These are all metrics that we can use to assess ourselves, to take our own temperature, and get a sense for the size of that cup. What are the needs that we really need to satisfy? And beyond that, I think if we have that awareness, we can train ourselves to give more freely. And eventually when we give more freely and we make that investment, we start getting a lot back in return. You're absolutely right, Vin. And uh, I'll finish just kind of encapsulating what we've talked about. That sacred fire, putting yourself in the forge of sacrifice for those who sacrifice freely, open-heartedly, in exchange, you have more character, you have more humanity, your life, be it brief and short, maybe even shortened by that, is a richer life. You are less susceptible to the winds and currents of the moment. You notice that there just aren't a lot of those people who have sacrificed daily, who have anxiety attacks, or who have some of the depression and diseases of those that don't sacrifice. They're able to tolerate more discomfort, thus they find comfort elsewhere. You often hear people say, well, I know some black people and they just seem so happy. I went to India and I was going through the slums of Mumbai and everybody was just so happy. You ever hear that? Yeah, I went to a poor country, people were so happy. Not that they're so happy, is they live in gratitude. Their characters, they have bigger character. They're fortified. Life has fortified them in a way. Yeah, if I was that poor, I'd commit suicide. Yeah, because you don't have the character they do. You don't value life the way they do. You value things. And you value other people's opinions of you. So you're susceptible to those opinions and whims. They are not. They live on the margin, so they're closer to being the one of no rank, which is the highest rank you could have. One who no one can judge nor measure, one of no rank. Sacrifice gets you closer to that. And in being closer to that, there's more clarity in your life. There is a luminescence that comes from your life energy because it is clear of the opaqueness of all these superficial influences. You're okay with you, which is one of the greatest metrics of success. Are you okay with yourself? Well, Z, that's very well put. We got the sacred fire. So let's jump in, baby. Fortify, purify, and move forward. Okay, we got to get out of here because the purge alarm just went off. And you got to hunker in place till 6 a.m. So love you. Great talking to you. And we'll see you soon. All right. Peace.
If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.